0: Now it's your turn. Nutrafol has been on with me for years, and that's because you all continue to buy and it really works. I love it. Now it's your turn to love it too. Neutrafol.com spelled N U T R A F O L dot com with the promo code TSFS. That's neutrafol.com with the promo code TSFS. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, pray. All right, Frasier X. It's a big day Uh, in a good way, in in a good way, in a good way. I mean, my mic is like cutting me off per usual. Uh, Anyhow, tonight, after 13 years as, you know, longtime contributor for Fox 5 DC, tonight will be my last night on Like It or Not. Um, Now, don't worry. And like not totally going away, I will pop up on some of their shows. You know, Fox Five does all kinds of shows, like during the day, the DMV Zone, and Good Day DC, and I pop in on some of those. But it's a little bit of a end of an era. Uh, so for those of you, a lot of new listeners from my sister wives podcasts and from TLC stuff and David Yantiv. So just to backtrack, I you know I started my whole career in Washington D.C. Everybody knows like the Kane show. It was a radio morning show that was super popular from, I was there from 2007 till 2013. And during that time, uh, a producer for a local news station, at the time it was NBC4 there, Kaz Lasco, he was like, you got to come to NBC. You got to be doing TV stuff. You you talk about, you know, pop culture all the time and celebrity news. And I had this segment on the Kane show called Sarah's um, Dirty Dirty at 6.30, 7.30, you get the gist, and so Cause was like, "You, you've got to come to, you know, to NBC." So we were there for a brief period of time, and then he moved over to Fox Five, and he said, "Oh my God, Fox Five! You have to come to Fox Five. They're so creative. They're so much fun." And I was like, "All right, I'm there." And when I tell you, I am, I am so grateful for Fox Five. I, I, in, I, I think it, it might have even been before 2011, but I did a thing called Glee Chat. I mean, this is for the real throwbacks in the D.C. area. And I would watch the Glee show at the Fox 5 station, and then at 11 o'clock, they would actually dedicate – like, they, they were really so inventive, and they still are. I mean, they do so much original programming. They would dedicate, like, four or five minutes where they would let me talk about Glee Chat. Like, I mean, who in the fuck cared about Glee Chat? But they let me go on and on. And not only that, you know, Kane Show was, like, so popular. And I, for what some reason, I was carrying around a giant man, like, total life-size mannequin. I think it was because I couldn't get a man or I had just broken off an engagement. So it was, like... Oh Sarah's got Manny the mannequin They'd let me put that damn doll It was like Ken doll On TV Surrounded by like plants and bushes And I'd be wearing some crazy sequented thing I mean, people that tuned in must have been like, this is the end of journalism. I mean, they really must. I mean, granted, it was a pop culture segment, but oh, my God. And, you know, over the years, I've got to do so many great things with them. My God, they let me do the Mansion Murder podcast. It was the first time I'd ever tried a true crime podcast. And that for people that don't know, it was about the family, Savopoulos family, who were held hostage in their home and sadly murdered. Um, and the guy who did it, they actually found him from getting DNA off pizza crust. He had ordered a pizza um, <clears throat> and then had killed them and, and burnt, tried to burn the house. And thank God the pizza survived and they ended up figuring out who it was. But. Anyway, we got to do the first true crime podcast. It was such a hit. They still do amazing true crime, um, podcasts, which you should check out. Missing pieces, and then they let me do. I still have a key card, which which was like says it all about my time there, really. Um, but they they still like gave me a key card after all the shenanigans I would pull. And I mean, I would go in and pitch them the craziest story, like the craziest ideas. I'd be like, "Let's do Sarah's so white," and I'll go around and like discover and talk about race issues, and they would like they'd be so respectful in the meeting but i'm sure they closed the door and they were like this bitch like what in the world i mean uh does she think that we're going to let her like destroy the entire network anyhow they got you know we did they didn't like that one but um they we did two seasons of i still have a key card we interviewed all your favorite anchors um and members of the news station that people loved. And then we did a second season um, through COVID, which was unbelievable. And then from that, uh, my boss at the time, Patrick, had a podcast called The Polini Perspective, where he shared and we talked political talk and local subjects. I got to do so many amazing things there. And, you know, I've had this regular schedule of being on, like it or not, I mean, probably for the past, like, five years, six years. I mean, because I used to go in at least once a week for their 7 o'clock PM show hosted by, you know, my friend Jim Locke and Angie Goff and Marina Morocco, uh, such talented, talented people. So, you know, it's come to an end that I will be on a regular schedule. Um most likely, because most likely I'll be doing some of their daytime shows. But it um, yeah, I mean, I just I, I wanted to give you the heads up because people ask me, are you going to be on like it or not? Are you are you still contributing for Fox? But tonight is the last night. So if you're in the D.C. area, 7 p.m. Eastern and I think you I'm sure you can stream live on Fox5DC.com um. But yeah, I mean, it's and, – and look, they were so awesome. I mean, I wasn't sure that they would even stick with me moving all the way to L.A. But here we are a year and a half later, they did. And I'm, you know, forever grateful for that. Um, but of course, you know, people are going back in studio. They need the talent in studio. So it was time. And it's it's crazy to think th- – that was my longest job that I've ever held. Like longest ongoing standing gig uh, so 13 years there, I was like six years, almost seven years at the Kane show. The, you know, TSFS, the podcast is going on eight years old, but longest gig, I, I feel like Lisa Rena right now, it's like <laughs> leaving Housewives, <laughs> which, you know, is it, is it ever you leave? I mean, it could be on, po- am I on pause? I guess I'm on pause maybe. Like I'm, I was sort of on pause, not, not as paused as Rena because, you know, I'll do some shows here and there, but. Anyway, tune in. I'm sure tonight will be so much fun with Jim and the crew, and we'll we'll just get to do a little toast and uh, you know, on to the next chapter. So I, I, you know, I wanted to give you that update. I'm really grateful, but it's it's wild to believe it's been 13 years. And uh, you know, on to other TV things. So thank you to Fox Five. I love everybody there. So talented. Their journalists are unbelievable and. I think, too, one of the things I've learned about Fox over the years is people, you know, say, well, journalism, you know, is so biased and all this stuff. And I have to say, I've learned some. I don't consider myself a journalist. I'm an, I think it's pretty obvious. Like, <laughs> I'm not sure people tune into this podcast and go, oh, what incredible facts she, she gives. I mean, I think you're here because you're like, oh, I like her. And it's kind of funny. And I'm interested in that show. But they really taught me, I mean, they have unbelievable journalists who I've never seen go out with a bias to get an angle on someone. I mean, truly local news, if you want a place where people are doing, you know, unbiased, straight up reporting, trying to get to the bottom of stories. And I mean, Fox has just been a trailblazer over the years, the decade plus that I've been there in breaking stories and staying on, you know, the mayor's office to be accountable for things and... Um, I've loved watching. I mean, I've got to work with some amazing people. I mean, God, Tom Fitzgerald and Allison Seymour. I mean, some some people aren't there anymore, but they were just who I had started with and Beth Parker, who sadly passed away, but one of the best journalists I had ever worked with. You know, I mean, I learned to like check two sources. You know, I mean <laughs> I could maybe do that on my own show now, but <laughs> but I I don't. So you know, I mean, look, I I learned a lot about being a journalist and what it goes into getting a story and developing sources in the area. I mean, they really are the best of the best, and you know, I've been so fortunate to work there and had great, you know, opportunities with management to pitch stories, and they've kept me employed. So I'm so grateful for my time there. Uh, I want to move on because I have a lot of other things to talk about today, including I'm starting to potty train KJ, and I'm sorry. I like, is do you really just potty train a child by like scheduling three days where you don't go anywhere and you just like let them run around the house nude? Like, is this like what? I thought, like, I thought there was a different manual, right? Right. Uh, okay. So I like, I need parenting advice, which is what you guys who are parents listening to this podcast do so well. Um, Uh, you know, KJ is starting to tell us that he has gone to the bathroom, right? He tells us that he poops. We now got a little potty. And I had read, I think like a Pampers.com guide that you should like let them, you know, customize their toilet. They're like potty. They should be able to put it where they want. So of course he's put like stickers at the bottom of the pot, which is like, okay, those are going to last like one flush, Um, but anyway, and then, you know, he, he puts it somehow in the living room. I'm like, this seems like really gross. And then every, everybody I talk to at KJ's preschool and everything I read online basically says you designate three to four days where you they wear – they can wear like underpants but they don't wear a diaper and you ask them or you sit them on the pot like every 15 minutes and they sort of get it and be prepared for mistakes. And Schman's like, are you telling me that the only – like that's the way to do it? And I'm like, yeah, I think so. And I'm like, I don't think I want to buy any guide. Although, you know, I famously said that and that taking care of babies sleep guide, which by the way – um somebody shared with me theirs. It was like, I was always like, oh, I never would read that. I'd never do it. And then someone just happened to like, be like, oh, here's mine. You can like, take a look, see if you like it. I was like, I'm obsessed. Like her, KJ was sleep trained in four days. So actually maybe I should see if she has a, she probably has like a potty training guide. I like, don't even want to pay for a potty training guide, but if you have one, please pass it on or just tell me where I'll buy it. I'll buy it. I don't want to make it sound like I'm not supporting people. Like obviously I, I appreciate when when you guys support my sponsors and so I would do that for somebody else. But also but but give, tell me this though, you know I don't want to spend if if the bottom line is all these potty training guides are the same, which is you stay home for like three to four days straight. They only wear underpants. You ask them like every 15, 20 minutes, do they need to go to the bathroom? If they take a nap, they wear like a pull up. At night, they wear a pull up. And like you're just giving them positive reassurance. And I did read, I did, I did read, you know, you're trying to not like get them afraid of the toilet. So you like wanna make it really easy for them to step and sit like on if you, if you put like an adjusted toilet seat on your toilet bowl, um, you know. That they, they um, it, like you you really want to make them comfortable so they don't fall off the pot and then they're traumatized. <laughs> okay, and you got to give them a lot of positive reassurance, and you make it fun for them. Like they read books on the the potty, or they get a toy, or there's a chart. Like unless this, unless these potty training guides give you some other a magical resource. Like, is there a magic number of you're supposed to ask them every twenty minutes, every. 15, like, unless there's some magic key, because every everything I read seems to be about this same type of thing. And then it sort of even seems like you do this for over three days or four days, and half the kids get it, and then half the kids still don't get it. Like, you're still, until they're, like, three and a half or four, like, sometimes they potty train at two and a half to three, and they still have accidents. And then sometimes they start to potty train, and then they just go backwards, and they don't potty train again until, like, three and a half. Right? Am I getting this? Is there any guide that like tells you anything different? Do you hear that? That is the sound of the brand new and delicious You Natural Conception for her in their juicy strawberry gummy flavor. Oh my, this is now my favorite thing to take. It's a fertility aid. If you haven't heard about them, they are unbelievable with thousands of five-star reviews on Amazon. Go and read them for yourself. And they're famous for their conception for her and conception for him formula, which Shman, Mahabi has been taking for over a month because it takes two to tango. Conception for her fertility aid is well researched, baby. They have ingredients like ashkawanda, zinc, magnesium that can help you on that journey to have a healthy baby. So what are you waiting for? Go and order now. You're going to love it and I want to hear from you. Check out You Natural on Amazon and use code FRASER20 for 20% off Conception For Her, Conception For Him, and the Conception Bundle. That's E-U-NATURAL on Amazon or follow the link on our website for 20% off Conception For Her, Conception For Him, and the Conception Bundle with the promo code FRASER20. That's F-R-A-S-E-R, the number's two, zero. How ironic! Let me know one way or the other. All right, let's thank some sponsors, give you guys some updates. By the way, I have a Reddit. Are you obsessed with my conversations with David Yontiff? That's one of the reasons I wanted to start a Reddit. If you want to have bigger in-depth conversations about topics on this podcast, David Yontiff, guests I have on of all kinds, reddit.com slash r slash the Sarah Frazier Show. Go and become a member of our Reddit. The other uh, people I have to thank is Dame. Don't you love a love toy? And don't you love a love toy that makes everybody happy in the bedroom? Let's be honest. Sex is better when everyone is having fun. That's why Dame designed their famous Ava, the first ever hands-free vibrator for couples. Now, Ava nestles in for a secure and comfortable fit. I ought to know. I own one thanks to Dame. Boost your pleasure and connection for all those involved in the bedroom and use my exclusive code today, TSFS, at checkout for 15% off statewide, okay? Go to dame.com. Or DameProducts.com, I should say. Enter the code TSFS at checkout for 15% off. And, of course, their famous Ava vibrator isn't the only product that they have. They're well-known for their Fin, which is a finger vibrator. Their Calm, which is their take on the classic wand-shaped vibrator. They have massage oil candles, which are exceptional, and so much more. Uh, And, you know, go and read the reviews. People love Dame sex toys. They're beautifully packaged when they arrive to you. Discreet, if you want them to be. They have a whole range of products. And I have to say, I mean, their products last a really long time. So battery life and just in general. So go to dameproducts.com and enter code TSFS for 15% off. Um, and please, at the Sarah Fraser Show or on Reddit, send me your advice, like your detailed advice for potty training or the manual that did it and I will actually buy it, okay? Um, a couple of other things that I was watching over the weekend and, um, you know, uh, subscribing to is Barbie movie came out in mass so everybody could watch it. And I'm so curious. Did you guys all love the Barbie movie? I wasn't wowed. I wasn't wowed. Now I am taking Deborah Silverman's astrology course, astrology level one, um, I don't even know why. I just, I Deborah came on my podcast, and I was so enamored by her because I heard her on my friend Lawrence's um, show, Unleash Your Inner Creative, and I thought I need to have Deborah on. Like, there's just something amazing. And to me, unlike I'm, I'm done psych, I'm done with psychics. Like, I don't give a fuck. Like, who's the most famous psychic now? I don't even know. Like, who was that guy that was on Oprah forever? Something Edwards, bored. I would never give a nickel to a psychic ever again. Like if I'm at an event and they've hired a psychic and it's a free reading, sure, why not? But again, if your destiny is written, why doesn't every psychic have the same outline for you? And then the psychics will always say, wow, this reading is just based on your energy and things that are happening like right now in the universe, but things could change and then things can change again based on your decisions. Okay, so then this is like nothing or this has nothing to do with anything. You just have a hunch. But Deborah and... Astrology kind of fascinated me because, I mean, there is a sort of picture of what the stars were the day and time that you were born. And is that a guide, if you will, to some extent, to your personality and interacting with other certain personalities? I find it really interesting. I just learned how to read my own birth chart I'm learning about the elements. Um, I'm learning about what it means when your sun, your like sign, is in rising, like what that means for your personality. Um, so I'm now I'm a little sucked in, like I'm a little, and um, I'm doing this level one course. I found out that I'm outside the box, and I'm sort of like, I don't want to do what everybody else does or says. So therefore, I'm like, do I not like the Barbie movie, or am I just not liking it because it's like the number one grossing film? It's in the top five, I think, now of all time, Uh, biggest grossing film for a female director, ever, 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 ever. So I don't know. I don't know what like where I'm going with this. Is I didn't really like it, but I'm not. I think that might be just my sign, you know. (laughs) Like, Like I think that's just like my astrological sign. I don't know. I mean, I think everybody's seen Barbie now at this point. You know, it's made well over a billion dollars. But the Barbie movie is essentially, of course, about Barbie. And I had heard that there was this real feminist angle to it, which there is. And I've read a lot about, like, breaking down that message. So let me start with what I loved and appreciated. And then I'll tell you why I'm just, like, I'm not on the Barbie train. And by the way, I was obsessed with Barbies. I played with Barbies. Until I was in 7th grade, my cousin Leah and I would play with Barbies and we would like high we would tell our moms like to t- tell our friends that we were out drinking or whatever so we seemed cool, but we played with Barbies forever. We loved Barbies. So I, I had weird Barbie. I mean, my brother Seth would like cut off all their hair and then blowtorch them um, and shave off their boobs. <laughs> I mean, there was like, we all don't worry. We had weird Barbie. We at one point had a Barbie body and then we took um, the strawberry patch, the strawberry patch girls like um, or um, strawberry patch dolls. We took like the evil strawberry shortcake. That was a thank you. It was strawberry shortcake characters we took the evil strawberry shortcake like witch we put her face like on a barbie body and she was like evil barbie we had a lot of variations we had a throwback old ken from like the 60s that we like i think my aunt linda was trying to sell in her doll shop and we like mutilated that i mean we like i like i we really had the barbie collection all right the movie, I think, although a lot of the critique that people didn't like was the way that it was shot in the set, the set is very like plasticky and California glam and pastelly color. Everything that Barbie is, Right. I loved the set. I thought they killed it with the set, the way the beach was, the way the props were, bringing like obviously humans that were playing Barbie and Ken into like this plastic world. I I hope they're nominated for an Oscar. I loved the set design. I loved the costume design. It was so. I mean, Margaret Robbie is. Um, oh my god, am I saying her name right? I always say Marga, but somebody told me that's not right. Margaret Robbie. Margaret Robbie. Um, like perfect Barbie, perfect, oh my God, stunning Barbie, stunning Barbie, Um, Ken, oh, amazing, okay, like Ryan Gosling, nail, like so funny, I thought the jokes were good too, a lot of people thought the jokes like were shitty, a lot of people thought the jokes were shitty and a lot of people thought the set was like Almost, you know, seizure-inducing, like when they say, oh, you know, um, be forewarned that, you know, you could have a seizure watching this. Like a lot of people felt like (laughs) that the set was like that. I happened to like the set. I thought the set was great. I thought it was great. I did not – To be honest with you, I kind of felt it was boring after a while. The jokes were great. Ryan Gosling really makes Ken Ken with the dancing. And, you know, at one point, the whole movie starts out there in Barbie land. And everybody's happy in Barbie land. And I loved how they kept – you know, obviously when you play with Barbie, she's like more giant than the car and the airplane and the house. And they basically sized the characters, Ryan Gosling's character and Barbie, Margaret Roby's character – basically that same way where they seemed bigger than the car and the house. It was it was great. Like, the details were so good. But I just got bored. I mean, the whole message is, like, obviously, these Barbies are really happy being in their plasticky world where, you know, they're all kinds of different ones. But, you know, every day is great and you just put your shoes on and your perfect little outfit and you get up and you don't really have a lot of thoughts. And then, of course, um, Barbie is thrushed into the real world because an adult who used to play with Barbies when she was a kid, i.e., like basically me, America Ferreira's character, um, is like all of us, right, that used to play with Barbies when they were little and she's sort of dealing with this job that she's unhappy with. She works at Mattel. You know, Mattel was behind this movie too. And um you know, and and it's like her own struggles with being a woman, right? You can never be – that women apparently – we we have so many societal pressures still that you just can't be perfect. You can't be a good enough mom. You can't be good enough at work. You can't do both of those simultaneously and then trying to be a good wife. You know, and then so anyhow, it, it's sort of um, – then the guys take over. Ken takes over and it's like living in this patriarchal world that we're in and um, the patriarchy and the bros like, you know, have the male gaze and all this stuff – And then, of course, at the end, it's like this beautiful touching thing where Barbie realizes that what Barbie's meaning was is that Barbie can be anything she wants, right? And that women can achieve anything. They can be female presidents, which is Issa Rae in the film. And they kind of – they get back to like a new kind of Barbie land. And um, the original woman who started Mattel really empowers Barbie and touches her and just lets her know that, you know, it's going to be okay. And you look inside yourself and – you know, I don't know. I just, I feel like, I, I are women equal everywhere? No, which is why I'm sure a big part of Mattel's message and Barbie, because now girls all over the world still play with Barbie, right? And And we know that women aren't treated equally everywhere, but we've come a long way. We've come a long way. I mean, I'm sure you guys know, I'm sure many of you listening to this make a lot more than your husbands. You know, I mean, we are living in this greatest era, and in a way, too, it's – I think I was almost annoyed that Barbie has taken on this whole other bigger connotation of, like, meaning of, well, Barbie can be anything. And then we have, like, kind of plus size Barbie, which I didn't even know actually existed, but they really did make that doll. I didn't know that they made a sugar daddy Barbie. Oh, it was supposed to be Sugar's Daddy, and it was like a little dog, and it had like a daddy, but of course, the double entendre, which by the way, came out, that Sugar's Daddy doll came out in 2011, not that long ago. (laughs) Like... I enjoy all of Mattel's failures I just think at the end of the day The woman that created her was a California gal Who you know Was bored with the old fashioned Barbies That our mother or old fashioned dolls That our mothers played for the baby dolls And really kind of wanted to do This fantasy doll that had never been done before Can't things be just as simple as fucking that I mean that really But over the years it's taken on all these things Barbie's unrealistic body type, and nobody has feet like that, and nobody has a tiny waist. And what projection is this giving little girls that play with it? And by the way, not every little girl played with Barbies. I know my niece never was into Barbies. I know so many women that were never into Barbies as kids. But it's taken on this whole other thing. And even even I kind of thought Will Ferrell's character, because, you know, they, Will Ferrell and his minions, all these guys – are on the board at Barbie and, you know, they're kind of making fun of that. And I'm sure that's true. I'm sure there's a lot of men at Mattel on the board, which is what it's, it's implying. And in other, we know this, and tons of other companies that are making decisions about women's products and little girls. And it's like, why are men making those decisions? And I think that's valid. I mean, I worked in radio for years and, you know, it was really frustrating to sit In a meeting with a guy that was in his sixties, headed to seventies, trying to tell women thirty years old what they want to hear on the radio, it is very frustrating because you know you try to respect them, but you're also like, you're so outdated with it. But you're also, but they also do have experience. It's just this really hard thing. But I even found Will Ferrell because at the end, you know, they propose like a an average Barbie that like doesn't, you know, kind of have all these like. Barbie-like things, and at first, like, Will Ferrell's character is saying no, but then he realizes he can make money. I almost felt like it was patronizing, kind of, like, we're going to let women think that they're in charge, but they're really not, which is another layer probably to this film. I just – I felt like some things don't have to be all that deep, and to me, Barbie was really fun to, like, cut her hair off and and burn her, and, like – because it was a doll, like, it was a doll, and, like, slingshot at her, and – Make Barbie porns like I mean it really I don't know it was it was all right and then a lot of people I, I read some interesting articles where people had a real issue with Barbie like it, if the whole idea for women is to be equal at one point in the film it's really just make it not one point many points of the film it's really just women having a laugh at men and Ken and how dumb Ken is um, hero breads oh my gosh chefs And useless Ken is. And so a lot of people felt like that's not really equality. Now we're just – we don't want a patriarchy. We want a matriarchy, which I do have to say it felt a little more like that than it did um, like, you know, 9 to 5, the the famous movie with like Dolly Parton where like women kind of have the last laugh, you know, and – you know, really reveal sexism. I don't know. I just, I, I didn't think it was as amazing as everyone said. It certainly had funny moments. I think I thought the characters and the actors and actresses really made it. I mean, Weird Barbie was funny, but I didn't think it was like, like so good. Like everyone was like, oh my god, Weird Barbie, best. Like it's the best. I just, I don't know. I didn't, I didn't love it. <laughs> but you know what? It was funny because man, he ended up liking it more than I did. So. There you go. Um, The other thing that I'm watching, it's been out since February, but I just started um, this really fascinating drug, American Pain. It is out if you want to watch it. So good. Um, I mean, terrifying, but it's about these two spoiled brat kids in Florida that end up creating a pill mill. And then all the other sort of under people, uh, Chris and Jeff George, complete spoil brats. They get a lot of access though to the family and you realize, I, I, I think, okay, you talk about level of depth. Barbie was Barbie, right? But I think what's so genius about American Pain is they expose exactly why these two um, twins end up becoming these drug lords and are just like have no care for people's lives. They get people addicted to Roxy Cotton's. Um, and they lie about it and everything. It, it's so good. And then at the end, they actually interview one of the twins. And I won't spoil it for you because I, I just it was a it was a documentary that I don't feel like got a lot of attention. But at the end, they actually interview one of the twins who still has no remorse, um, but actually makes a really good point about what we're doing with fentanyl now. Okay, I just realized too. By the way, you're probably you're listening to hear my hot take. So I don't know why I said to you I wasn't going to tell you. <laughs> like, Meanwhile I spoil everything else like Barbie movie, Every Sister Wives episode. Anyway, the it's you you see exactly why these two became drug pin um you know. And, and by the way, they they killed not I mean they killed directly by giving these people and keeping people a pill, uh, addicted to these pills. Thousands of people died. They do a breakdown of who died. And I don't and these one of these twins is actually out of jail. So how the fuck, I have no idea why the system is, the I, it, our justice system is maddening. These two should be in jail for life. And one of them is out. One of them is fucking out. And they, they passively murdered so many people and no remorse. But I what I like about it is there's layers to it. They interviewed the dad. And you just see by the dad's attitude and what he's like, like how they created these kids. But it's interesting because it's like the dad doesn't even, the dad doesn't even really take any accountability. Like he sort of does at the end. He's like, maybe they were just uh, spoiled brats. And it's like, yeah, fucker. Yeah, they were. But how everybody else around them, like no morals, no accountability, which is the saddest part, I think, is just how blinded people become with money in our society. I loved it. I thought it showed American pain. It talked about family dynamics. What happens when your kids are spoiled fucking brats? uh, Greed in this country, addiction in this country, um and the saddest parts of addiction they show these families that from West Virginia that were driving down there to these pill mills and then reselling the pills and what it happened to their family it just it's like the most depressing thing but it's maddening and then at the end one of the twin twins comes on and goes look we we actually hired legitimate doctors which was true they did in these pill mills People had to come in. They had to get an MRI. They had to they had to prove they had some sort of pain thing, which of course is like bullshit because they would approve everybody, you know. But a couple of the doctors had some certain standards and things. I use standards loosely. Um, and then they were given roxy cottons for their pain, right? Um, and of course they they're addicted. They keep coming. Um, but then at the end, he's like, look, we kept track. We kept track of every single person. Um, these people were going to get prescriptions, whether they came to us or they continued on to different doctors. They were going to do it anyway. And now, and we knew exactly, we were given the from the pharmaceutical companies the drugs. So we were at the time sort of legally selling the drugs. And we knew what was in the drugs. And he goes, now people are dying at an even faster rate from fentanyl. They're trying to get other drugs and things to numb their pain. And now we don't know what they are. Or what's in them. And more people are dying than ever. So maybe I should have kept my pill mill. He didn't say that. But, you know, he's implying it. I was like, you know, I mean, isn't that the fucking weirdest thing? I hate this kid. And yet he has a good point. (laughs) Anyway, um, American Pain, another one put on your list. Oh, so much good TV to watch. I'll tell you what, So much good TV. All right. Uh, Tomorrow, brand new TLC talk. We've got a lot of Welcome to Plathville to chat about. Yesterday, I had on Lisa Baby Girl from 90 Day Fiance. People have a lot to say about that interview, too. A lot to say. Uh, people feel like Lisa didn't take accountability for uh, the way she treated Usman. She won't let it go. Other people feel like they like hearing Lisa's side of it and, you know, how Lisa claims a lot of 90 Day Fiance is staged. So go and listen. Um, and thank you for subscribing to The Sarah Fraser Show. All right. Bye, everybody.